Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. Hello, I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Caroline Sheen, who's currently playing Violet in 9 to 5 The Musical at the Savoy Theatre in the West End. Caroline joined the cast in the last week of rehearsals after Louise Redknapp injured her wrist. She only had a week to learn everything. It's not the first time she's saved a show, though. Back in January 2015, she stood in for a part in City of Angels at the Donmar Warehouse with less than a day's notice. I just happened to be in the audience that night. Over the years, you might have seen Caroline in shows such as Mary Poppins, Les Miserables, The Witches of Eastwick and Mamma Mia, to name a small number of her credits. After a short break during Louise Redknapp's run in the show, Caroline is now back in 9 to 5. We had a chat in her dressing room one night before the show. Here's our conversation. Caroline Sheen, welcome to the Backstage With podcast. Thank you for having me. You're very lucky to have this space all to yourself, aren't you? Isn't it glamorous? It's actually, out of all the dressing rooms I've had, this is probably the nicest. I really like how... We're at the Savoy Theatre, so I love the kind of history of it, because I was brought up on Gilbert and Sullivan, and Gilbert and Sullivan, like, built this theatre, I think. They were strongly associated with it. And, you know, the big wardrobe that holds my costumes, it's wooden, and the table is wooden, and, you know, the dressing room mirrors are exactly how you'd expect them to be, and it just... I feel like I could be in any era, you know, coming yeah. in here and, and getting ready to do the show. It's nice that they've kept it as it was, yeah, almost, but without yeah. it being tired. and. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not too ratty. It's quite mousy, though. Oh, God. <laughs> it oh, can no, be quite really. mousy. When you're here, or do you just... No, I, I've never caught one. I've never seen one. But I do find mouse poo sometimes around my bin. Oh, my God. That's nice, isn't well, it? At least they go near the bin. It's like exactly. Almost, they they reckon quite. that's where the food is. But uh, of course. Yeah, maybe. Of course. Yeah. We're here to talk about 9 to 5. Yes. For those people who haven't seen it or don't know anything about it other than the title, what's the show about? The show is about three women in the early 80s who are trying to get on in their lives and in their work. And basically every road they take the the path is blocked by men being chauvinistic and being given opportunities that the women should be open to as well and the frustration that that entails and they end up they're all working for this incredibly horrendous boss played by Brian Conley and we end up taking our revenge on him and it gets quite farcical and quite silly and very, very funny. And it's great. It's just a lovely, it's a fun, really enjoyable night out. And yet it's still got a message. You know, I can't believe the things that I'm saying on stage were said in the 80s and we're still saying them today. You know, there's lots of talk about equal pay for equal work and you know, having flexible hours so that people can have a family life and a good work-life balance. And at one point I do say, I bet in 10 years' time this won't even be an, an issue anymore. And I'm like, actually, it still is now. You know? <laughs> it really still is now. It does, yeah, it does. A groan more than anything. Like people go, yeah, you know, <laughs> you just hear them agreeing and going, yeah, isn't that uncanny that it's still an issue now? We've got a long way to go. 
and the music. We'll talk more about the whole female empowerment thing. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot to tap into. But <laughs> the, the music is obviously written by the lady herself, Dolly Parton. Legend. The legend of Dolly Parton. And the songs are great, aren't they? So good. She's written the music and it's great music. And I just can't believe the musicality of that woman and her talent, really. She's she's amazing. You know, she's like made of music. And what what's happened is they've been made into... Her songs have been made into something theatrical for the musical. And she's written them for the musical, but she's had a team around her to orchestrate them and to make them into musical theatre type songs that tell tell a story, you know. So that's been really lovely. And it's opened me up to the rest of her work as well. You know, she does incredible things, that woman. She has amazing charities that she supports and runs. And she's just an absolute legend. I adore her. Were you scared to meet her the first time? I was ridiculous when I met her the first time. I couldn't speak. And the two girls, Natalie and Amber, after we left her, they were like, you're right, Caroline. I went, yeah, why? And they went, you didn't say anything. And I was like, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I said, hello, hello, nice to meet you. And then I just shut up, because what, what do, do you say? say? What, I don't know, what do you say? What do you say to Ollie Pond? It turns out, I put a little photograph on Facebook, and my husband has family from the States, and it turns out that that family is from the same area that she's from. Oh, wow. So the next time I met her, I could say to her, my husband's family is from this, I can't even remember the name of the town now, but she's like, oh, that's my home. Well, she didn't really quite talk like that, but, you know, I actually had a subject matter to talk about. It helps. Yeah, it helps. It did. Just quickly on the music, do you have a favourite song? Because there are so many bangers in this show. They change all the time. My favourite songs, I keep getting asked this, and then when I say it, and I think, I'm sure I said another song last time, I have a little duet in act two, which is lovely between I'm like the older woman in the show. I'm the old, older character out of the three of us. And yet I'm the one that gets a love interest, which is lovely. And so we have a lovely song called Let Love Grow. And I'm playing my character is a widow. And it's the younger man saying to her, you know, you have to have more to live for than just coming into work every day. And him trying to open her eyes to the fact that she should be trying to keep on living her life and having some fun. And yeah, that's a really lovely thing to think about. It must help if you're ever having a bad day that you get to go out there and do things like shine like the sun and yeah. like the really uplifting numbers. It, is, it really is. You can't, you can't come in here in a bad mood and leave still in a bad mood. It changes you, you know. And that's what I, I kind of think that about every musical, to be honest. If you're in a bad mood and you go on stage and you sing a song, it's definitely going to raise your cheerfulness levels by a good 50%, you know. You, you will absolutely cheer yourself up by having a good sing. I think it's scientifically proven now, apparently. Singing releases serotonin oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. something. That's great, isn't it? I read something once that if you go to some a play or a musical where it gets your heart rate up, yeah. that can have just as healthy effect as exercise. Absolutely. So you can be sitting there for three hours. Yeah, give up the gym, come to the theatre <laughs> exactly. instead. <laughs> I, do you know I, I reckon that that's probably true as well. Absolutely, definitely. When you came into this show originally, yes. it was a bit last minute, there was a bit of an emergency. There was, yeah. For those people who don't know, just tell us a little bit about what happened and how you got the call. So my experience was I got a phone call on a Thursday from my agent saying there's a leading role in the West End that is suddenly up for grabs. It's only for two months you'd have to audition for it tomorrow, are you around? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I went in on the Friday. By then I'd found out it was Louise Redknapp's role in 9 to 5. And 
So I went and auditioned at three o'clock, three o'clock or three thirty, something like that on the Friday. Got the job at about half past five. I got the call and started learning the music at half past ten Saturday morning with Andrew Hilton, our lovely musical director. Went into the rehearsal room, met some of the cast who were still rehearsing there. So they'd already started. They were in their final week. <laughs> oh my god! So you had one week. I had one week, and. I'm quite up on my musical theatre. I know shows, but nine to five was never really on my radar. I'd heard, I knew the song, obviously, and the, I'd seen the film, but I, and I'd heard the big solo number that Amber sings in Act Two, Get Out and Stay Out, that I hear that a lot when I'm teaching. So I knew that, but I didn't know this part at all. And, you know, I get the script and the score, and there's a load of songs I don't know, and it's a massive dialogue piece as well. It, it actually is more of a, play with music really there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of it is mine so I had a lot to learn we did Monday Tuesday and Wednesday morning we blocked and choreographed the show they taught me the whole show and by Thursday we were running it and by Friday I was off book you're a superhero I'm, I'm not a superhero at all it's just you, if you've got to do it you've got to do it do you know what I mean the, the thing, were you sleeping not much <laughs> I ended up actually the night I got the job I ended up having such a bad night's sleep that I woke up the next day I did my I did my rehearsal on the Saturday and on the Sunday I woke up and my eye was massively bloodshot and I ended up in Moorfields Eye Hospital because my eye was so bloodshot so I spent those sort of the first the week of rehearsal and then the week of tech and then we had the show luckily by the time the show was open my eye wasn't quite as mad so it wasn't too bad oh but yeah gosh. it wasn't it was it was a stressful time <laughs> <laughs> the thing I love about this is it's not the first time you've saved the show <laughs> I actually was in the audience at City of Angels were you? the first night that you were on oh my gosh Catherine Kelly Catherine Kelly was poorly was, yeah was poorly and there you were. And there I was. And you would never have known. I didn't know the show, but you would yeah. never have known. I um, That was another mad one. I got a call. Basically, I'd seen the show and I knew the casting director. And he basically said, you've seen the show. I know you know the show because I'd spoken to him about how much I loved it and stuff. Would you like to come do the show with the script in your hand? And I went... What the hell? Um, but you didn't, ha you didn't. You were off book, weren't you? Do you know what? I had, they gave me the script. I was off book for the songs because I knew them. But I did have the script in my hand. But because it's City of Angels, there's quite a lot of the props were film scripts anyway. Uh, there's a lot so, of paper. Yeah, there's a lot of paper on stage. So bizarrely, it kind of like sort of amalgamated itself into the, into the show, really, my little script. So... So, yeah. I mean, it's so long ago. I do, I just remember being blown away. Oh, thank you. So, thank you. It was, it was one of those kind of, you know, you have these actors' nightmares of like going on stage with no clothes on or going on stage in a show you've never done before. It really was that. I'd had a few hours of rehearsal, but luckily, I mean, I knew half the cast. I'd worked with half the cast anyway, and they all, and even and the cast that didn't that was. know. It. it was an amazing cast, wasn't it? So they were all just sort of helping me. They were, they did it just as much as I did, really. They they were helping me so much. It was brilliant. I really like to imagine that there is a casting director or a producer somewhere in an office in London, and on their wall is a picture of you with your phone number <laughs> in a little box that says, in case of emergency, break glass and call Caroline Sheen. I need to stop doing it, don't I? I need to start, like, actually just doing proper jobs that aren't going to stress out me and my family too much no, what, what a reputation to have though that it's you can lovely just... to know it's lovely to feel like I am someone that can be relied upon to get people out of a, of a hole so that is a nice thing to know it's it it feels like 
people trust me so that is really nice it's quite nice as well with this show given that it is so about like strong women yeah that you can come in, come in and a week later you're doing the and show. be a strong woman and get it done it was interesting because I had recently done a tv series and for that there were obviously there was a lot of line learning to do and I think because I had recently done that and gone okay I've been given this episode to learn and we're filming it next week and I had to know it and film it and it was done I thought if I can do that then I can do this this is my comfort zone I can learn the lines and and everyone was everyone was amazing with me helping me as well so it was a proper team effort but this is like the first big long runner that I've done since I had my little girl and that was back in 2012 in Les Mis I was doing Fontaine in that so it's lovely it's lovely to be back in the swing of it and Absolutely. remind people that I haven't given up <laughs> and even better that it was a complete surprise yeah luckily my husband wasn't working at the time so he could take our daughter and I could just literally just come in here and blitz it you know and now coming back into it I've known I was coming back into it for a couple of months and I know the part now and it's just a much calmer experience this time round. And I feel like, and it's nice because Louise came in then and she did her three months. And now I've come back in and it feels like now I can take a bit more ownership of it now. You know, it's, it's my job and, and, and it's a nice thing to do. I'm not, I'm not just sort of filling someone else's shoes, which is a nice feeling. At what point did you find out that you would be coming back? A couple of weeks after I finished. There was always talk while I was in here. Oh, so you'd already gone? Yeah, I'd, I left end of March time but there was already talk of me coming back you know they said if if we asked you would you come back but I think there was also talk of if you know they might need another big name to put bums on seats but luckily I mean the show is doing so well it's amazing it's it I don't think there's much on like this in the West End at the minute one of those great fun like crazy nights out that's based on an old movie I have the same vibe off this that I felt when I was in Greece. It's that kind of vibe, you know. It's the legally blonde. That yeah, whole, exactly. Yeah. And that, that box isn't ticked at the moment, except really by us, I think. So that's nice. Can we talk about your upbringing and how you yeah. found your way here, basically? Did you have a particularly musical upbringing in Wales? I, I mean, Wales is the land of song, isn't it? But my, if you heard my parents sing, you wouldn't necessarily believe that. <laughs> Bless them. I love you both. I love you both. They were very much into their amateur dramatics. They used to do a Gilbert Sullivan once a year and then another show the other half of the year in their Amdram. And so I grew up with this like really vast experience of seeing people doing different shows, you know, Kiss Me Kate, and then it would be Ruddy Gore, and then it would be Guys and Dolls. So, you know, it really gave me a, a, a big foundation to start off from. And then somebody told me when I was about, I don't know, 12, 13, that you could do it as a job. And until then, I thought a job was, you know, sitting at a desk and typing or, you know, something that you wouldn't enjoy, really, that you had to do to make money. I thought if you can do something like this to make money and to live, that that's an amazing thing. So after that, that was my trajectory then. I was determined to do this for a living. And I started coming up to London on the bus to see West End shows and cut out every single bit of information about a musical that I could out of the newspapers you know and stick them up on my bedroom wall you couldn't see my bedroom wall for for posters and and stickers and photographs and things so I was absolutely obsessed and then I went off to Guildford School of Acting and studied there and 
you always do a showcase in your final year and I got an agent and a couple of auditions came in and I got two jobs the next week and that was it then the sort of whole of my 20s was taken up sort of show hopping I was very lucky and yeah all all my dreams came true really the first job came along was that Marty in Greece that was Marty and that happened really quickly yeah so I got that literally two weeks after this showcase and I got to understudy I was playing Marty but I also got to understudy Rizzo and Sandy so like two very different parts a real mix so and that was just a great training ground for me you know the, the team that worked on that were amazing and I feel like even though I trained at drama school you learn so much more your first day on the job than you do it in three years at drama college you know um and it's just a lovely, um, that's a, such a great show to start off with. Everybody's a similar age. Everybody's, you know, at the same place in their lives. And that was a lot of fun, starting off with Greece. It's brilliant. Then you did Into the Woods at the Donmar, was that Yeah, that's straight after. So you literally went straight across the road pretty I much. I did, I did. That production came along a couple of years, about eight or nine years after the original production yeah. closed quite quickly. Yeah. How different was that show? Well, I mean, the Donmar is such a a tiny space for a big show like Into the Woods and I always remember thinking how on earth are they going to do it but the designer Bob Crowley was amazing how he did it we had a little rim revolve that went round on the stage of the Doma that would go in and out of these trees at the back and that was an incredible cast as well it was Claire Burt playing the witch Sheridan Smith in her professional debut as um, Little Red Riding Hood and little known fact Damien Lewis as the Wolf and Prince Charming. Oh you know Damien Lewis from Homeland yeah, yeah, yeah. and Billions and everything. Married to um, Helen McCrory. Yeah. So um, Matt Rawl was his brother, the other prince. And Sophie Thompson. Oh, Sophie Thompson was the baker's wife. Jenna Russell was in... I mean, it was literally all my dreams come true in that job. It was wonderful. And we were all in the same dressing room. There were like 13 women in one dressing room, which could have been a recipe for absolute disaster, but we had the best time. I love them all, every single one. I yeah. feel bereft that I never got to see that production. <gasps> I was too. They I, must have it. They must have it in some kind of archive I, somewhere. I'm sure they know. do. I feel like they do yeah. that now. Or maybe they just didn't talk about it back then. But I can't. Remember. I'm pretty sure they did. I'm pretty sure they archived it. Yeah. It wasn't long after that that you were in the original cast of Mamma Mia. Yeah. The and apparently I read this earlier. I don't know if it's true. Yeah. You took over as Sophie really early into the run. Is that true? I didn't, well, I didn't take over, but I played it Oh, you played it? Okay, yeah, well, that's I was a naughty article that wasn't quite right Oh, there. really? Yeah. I wonder what that was. No, so I think we'd, we'd been open for about a week. Oh, my and, God, a week? Yeah, we'd done our previews, like yeah, two weeks yeah. previews, and we'd opened, and then sort of that week. I think it happens in most shows. You do your press night, and then everybody kind of falls apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I was on without much rehearsal in, in that, and it was lovely. I, I think I did about a week's worth, and it was... It was good for me because it was a time when quite a lot of big people were still coming to look at the show and and to see the new hot hot show that had just opened, you know, because that was when you could get tickets. And then after that, we did, we performed it on the lottery. We did money, money, money or something on the lottery. And after that, you couldn't get a ticket. It suddenly became this massive hit that nobody was really expecting. Well, it was the first jukebox musical, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Did, did you expect it to still be running 20 years 20, 20 years, years later, later? Absolutely not. We used to have a game in the wings. We used to have a game in the wings of like, what would your dream cast of a movie be? Even in our wildest castings, we did not cast Meryl Streep as Donna. Do you know what I mean? We were like, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer or 
Goldie Horn or something like that. And then you get, you know. Because you had Siobhan McCarthy. Siobhan McCarthy yeah, yeah, was Donna, yeah. Jenny Galloway as Rosie. The late, fabulous, wonderful Louise Plowright as Tanya, who then played Donna for a few years as well. Just wonderful, wonderful. And we did the Royal Variety and Brian Connolly hosted it. Oh, and wow. I haven't seen it for years. And I asked him and he went and got his video down from his loft and taped it for me on his phone. So I sent it to our WhatsApp group and we're all like in hysterics watching ourselves doing some kind of choreography that is not in the show <laughs> at all. Well, it might be now, but um, it was a, a sort of special version of it that we did for the Royal Variety. So, yeah. It was a real trip down memory lane. There must be like a nostalgia every time you walk past the Nevada, especially because it's literally around the corner. I know, that's not where it was though. No, I know, but yeah. when you see the see the, 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 see the marquee, the yeah. you must... See the posters, and I went to see it recently because a dear friend of mine has just taken over as Tanya, my friend Kirsty. So I went to see her open dress, and it's it did it made me feel really strange watching it, just kind of bringing back all these memories from such a long time ago. So much fun similar age groups of people like there was a bunch of grown-ups we called them then you know playing the older characters that are now the characters I'm right for now and then a load of us who were sort of in our early 20s and and teenagers Scarlett Strallen was like 17 doing it it was two lovely groups of people who were just having a ball and we ended up in a hit show you know which none of us expected so that's always a great thing what goes through your mind when you go into venues like the Prince Edward or places where you worked when you yeah. were just starting out? Do you get sort of a weird butterfly yeah, feeling? Yeah, you do. You remember everything. I went to see Aladdin last week and I was sitting in the auditorium of the Prince Edward and thinking, I sat here and had notes with Philida for Mamma Mia. And I remember I remember exactly where I was sitting, where she's, she literally said to us about five previews in, let's play it more tongue in cheek because the audience are finding it funny we have to let them know that we know that, that that it's acceptable to find it funny you know and we just sat there and suddenly the show just worked she was she's, she is such a clever director she listens to her audience and she knows what's going to work and yeah all those memories come flooding back it still smells the same you know how potent a smell is yeah everything you know, has its own as well doesn't it yeah it's so yeah. funny yeah, this one, I've not been in this one before. So this is a nice, um, this is a lovely theatre, I like it. Classy, isn't it? Yeah, very much so, very much so. I love the multicoloured seats. So apparently the multicoloured seats are there so that you can't tell if they're empty or not. Oh, really? Yeah, you can though. But <laughs> <laughs> well, there can't be many for There's not many, there's run. not many, but I think that's probably why, because it's so busy that you can see the empty seats. Yeah. I read earlier that when you went for Eponine, it yes. took a couple of times to get it because yeah. they said you were too sophisticated yes gosh where did you read that oh I wanted to play Eponine so badly and when I was at college we were always taught to sort of dress smartly for an audition and I'd auditioned for it once in college and for Les Mis and I'd got a recall and I remember being so amazed that I got a recall it was my first West End audition thinking oh they must they must see something workable in me which is a big thing you know to think that someone goes, oh, well, she could potentially be in a show. Massive thing. And anyway, all my auditions for it always kind of fell away. And then I did go in and I got sent Fontaine and Eponine and Factory Girl stuff. I think probably looking back on it, I was probably up for cover. But I dressed up nice and smart. And I went in and, you know, put a face of makeup on. And I sang I Dreamed a Dream and I sang the Factory Girl stuff. 
And then they said, thank you very much. And I said, oh, did you, did you want to hear the Eponine stuff? And this Eponine's my dream part, you know. Do you want to hear it? Because um, you sent me on my own. You did, you did. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and they said, oh, no, no, I don't think Eponine's right for you. A bit too sophisticated. And I was like, okay, and like, stab me now. <laughs> um, so anyway, Which is what Eponine, how Eponine would feel. Exactly, she would. Anyway, after that, years went by and I ended up in Witches of Eastwick working with Camerons and when we got our notice it happened to coincide with when they were recast in Les Mis and I literally said do you need an Eponine please tell me you need an Eponine and they were still a little bit kind of scoffed at it a bit you know because I'd spent a year and a half playing a blonde cheerleader so I went in for my audition and wore no heels wore jeans scruffiest jumper I could find put my hair in pigtails and put hardly any makeup on and I got the part and that was amazing that I, I couldn't believe my luck really it was just nice for them to see me in a different light you know yeah can I ask you about Mary Poppins yes you can what was the audition for Mary like it was full-on actually I had to do quite a lot and my final audition Adrian Sarple who was the resident director on it gave me a lovely note before I went on he said go on that stage and perform it. Imagine this is your part and you're playing it. Don't think it's a, don't think of it as, as an audition. And so I did. And Cameron came down. This is the first and only time this has ever happened. And he came down and offered me the part there and then. Was this at the theatre? Yeah. Oh, so it hadn't closed in London. No, it was. It was sorry. It was wasn't at the Mary Poppins oh, Theatre. Right, it sorry. was at. Um, it was at the Queen's actually. Oh right. Okay. Um, and he came down to the front and said, "We'd really love you to play Mary Poppins." And I just burst into tears. I'm not surprised. That's such a And then a I rare... came out and I went, does that mean it's an offer? And then about two days went past until it was like an official offer. But Did you start overthinking going? Yeah, I started did, going, oh, maybe, you... maybe, you know, maybe he's changed his mind or anything. Because, you know, there was no handshake or anything written down. But that was a pretty cool thing. That was like something out of a movie, you know. That, that's the one for the memoir, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. What was your favourite thing about that show? Just the story and the characters and... I just love it. I love that show. I could, it's, you know, I've played it. I played it for six months here on tour and then I played it for a year in America and I could still sit at home and watch the film over and over. It would be one of my Desert Island films to take because I still adore it. There's nothing I don't like about it. What would be your Desert Island song from that show? Oh, it's it's like choosing your favourite child or something like that. I think I do love Feed the Birds, but... As if I had to watch it over and over again on the film, I think it would probably be the sequence in the chalk picture. Yes. That ends up in Supercal. I think it would be that. Jolly Holiday going into Supercal. That would, that would be it. You did some really big venues with Plymouth, yeah. Birmingham, Edinburgh, especially Massive. Edinburgh. Yeah. Did you like the flying or was it terrifying? Do you know what? I did. I loved it once we were in the show, but when you had to practice it and all the lights were on and you realise how high up you are, it's terrifying. But when you're in the show and you can't see how high up you are, you just see little blobs of light everywhere, then it's lovely. And, and then you see that you do see the odd face looking at you with like absolute wonderment. So it's a very magical moment. But then obviously going venue to venue, you have to then do a practice run a couple of times before you do the show. And that's when you go, oh, God, this is actually really quite, quite a big deal. When Becky Luck was on, yeah. she told me that it was 
quite scary sometimes running down the stairs. That, yeah, that's quite terrifying. For the curtain call, because you have to, like, shed everything. Yeah. Do you do at the top and then you run? and you're really... I, d- I mean, I don't know, because it was, for me, it was different in every venue. In Birmingham, which was the first venue I did, I had to fly out through the roof of the theatre and run back down above the ceiling and then I came down a ladder on the side of the stage and that's when I did my little change so I could go on and change my coat basically for the for, for the bows then there was one time in America you, you know you had to, obviously had to map it out differently sometimes I was outside in the rain running to go back on stage you actually went uh, outside sometimes yeah that's How the only way you can get backstage oh if you go out front of house sometimes or it's the quickest way anyway and those American theatres are even Huge. bigger than the Fox Theatre in Atlanta which we played is enormous and I flew it was so big there was no way I could fly to the roof I flew to a corner of the circle and then went down the steps outside into the stage door and literally there'd be stage management and crew holding doors open and things and then there was one theatre where you had the stage manager who was with me his name was Thomas he had to put a code in the door to get us backstage I think it was DC and it wasn't working and so finally someone else came up and he'd been given the wrong code and we ran and ran and ran and ran and I literally I bowed I've never been so out of puff bowing at all it's you know it's meant to be Mary Poppins and look practically perfect and I was like (laughs) (laughs) like a heaving mess I love that if you were just randomly standing outside the theatre in Atlanta you would just and you would see just see Mary Poppins like jet yeah. past you. Sometimes with a stage management person all dressed in black holding an umbrella over your head. What an image, especially yeah. if it's like really hot and humid and you're exactly. there in full like purple yeah. red coat. Some, in, in Florida I had to run out of the theatre and back in and you'd go out the theatre and be hit by this wall of heat. And then come back in. Oh, Even at, you know, half past ten at night, it was still, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 degrees outside. And then you'd come back in and be able to breathe again, you know. But yeah, I, I often thought that. I wondered what people thought of seeing Mary Poppins. Hilarious. Like, pegging it to get somewhere. <laughs> did you have a favourite city that you did on the tour? Atlanta, actually. Well, mm-hmm. DC, I was there for eight weeks, so DC was amazing. It's an incredible place. But that kind of didn't feel like tour there because we were there for such a long time but out of the touring venues Atlanta I really enjoyed I loved the people there the kind of southern hospitality that you get the amazing history there with like Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement and it's where lots of people started coming to visit me like my mum came over for the first time and so it was just it was the place in America where I started to enjoy myself and so I got very fond memories of that and the, the accent, the best thing ever. That's so cool, yeah. isn't it? It's it so cool. It's like, oh, people actually talk like this. And the food, yeah. like hotel breakfast there, you Incredible. go down and things that look like scones and they're calling them biscuits. It's I like, know, it's and gravy is like white milky it sauce. It looks like rice pudding. Yeah. I still haven't braved it every yeah. time. Because <laughs> I've been to Atlanta once and I yeah. was like, that looks nice, but I don't know how it will Tell taste. Tell you what you must try if you go again is fried green tomatoes. Ooh. Oh, tomatoes, if you're American. That was that was something I tried there, and that was a, that was a new kind of food thrill for me. I liked that one. That's a great tip. Yeah. Did you ever not fly? Did it ever go wrong? Sometimes, yeah. There was one time where I was hooked up wrongly, because um, there are four wires, two attached to each hip, and two go out front and two go up to the top of the stage. And when the two that go out front get released, I'd been hooked up to the wrong hip. So I started spinning around like Linda Blair out of The Exorcist. Oh, my God. Um, and l- luckily, 
obviously I didn't fall. I, I managed to work out that that's what had happened because suddenly, I, as soon as they released, I started spinning. And once I'd stopped spinning, they carried on taking me out. But I was kind of half backwards. <laughs> so I was sort of looking down onto the stage, holding my brolly and my carpet bag, staring at the Banks children and their parents on the stage, just looking at me white with horror. I think that was the only real kind of big drama with the flights. Sometimes if I couldn't fly out, I would do a different flight on the stage. Okay. So it'd just be the same one as the end of Act One, where she flies out from one side to the other on the stage but um, most of the front of house flights were okay it's a big shame if they don't happen well, I saw it in Cardiff thankfully yeah. it wasn't the first time yeah nothing at all yeah and we were sitting there it was like the day before New Year's Eve or something yeah and it didn't happen and it was a matinee and the audience was rubbish oh no and we were sitting there and the music's building we're like oh any minute now and she wasn't there oh she's coming oh no where is she she should definitely be here by now. Oh. She's not coming. And my, oh, my, my other half was, who's a big, like Mary Poppins is his favourite of all time. Yeah. He was like, I, I think, I think that she just went out to the wings and said the audience was crap. I'm not going out. And I was <laughs> like, don't think that's how it works. I apologise on behalf of all Welsh people for the rubbish audience. <laughs> we haven't seen it since either. So. Well, there you go. You have to see it when it comes back in. We've already booked. Of course he, you have. He was honestly, the day that tickets came out, he oh, was like, amazing. take me to the first preview. <laughs> Okay. Uh, when you went back to Les Mis, 10 years after Eponine, yeah. was that part of your plan? It yeah. was just nice. I'd finished up Mary Poppins in the States and it was, part of me was thinking, oh, that would be nice. And I knew they were doing quite a big kind of relaunch, not relaunch, but, you know, a redo of Les Mis with Alfie Bow going in and Matt Lucas. And they were putting in new orchestrations from the new version that had been on tour and relighting it, I think, and resounding it. So it's quite a big deal. And I thought, if I ever do Les Mis again, that would be a nice time to do it. And somehow again, it happened. It was lovely. And it was it was just nice to kind of come back and feel like also to not be the sole responsibility for the show. You know, Mary Poppins has that whole show on her shoulders. Well, she shares it with Bert. But, you know, as Fontaine, you can get it all done. I used to call it little Fontaine the musical, the first sort of 20 minutes yeah, of yeah. Fontaine's story. And then I could, you know, relax and join the ensemble then by the end of Act One and get on the barricades dressed as a boy. Although I wasn't allowed to be dressed as a boy. Why not? I was too womanly, apparently. So well, I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah, exactly. So I got I got a nice costume and, and and still did all the boy boy-like things, but I was dressed as a girl. Were you sad to see the original production close? Really sad. Really sad. And I'm sorry I didn't go and see it really before it closed, but I'll always have it in my head. I watched it so many times before I was even in it, you know, it's in, imprinted on me. So, And I'm so proud that I got to do it. I just think it's really special. I know the new version is, is wonderful. I just think it's a shame that they've taken the other one off. But, you know, things have to move on. So, you know, let's see but what we happens. we can mourn. Yeah, absolutely, massively. Because I think it would, you know, it would still be a big hit. Whatever, it's the story that people go and see, isn't it? Um, and actually a lot of people you talk to away from regular West End people mm. they don't necessarily understand the difference like even yeah. when I was telling people at work they yeah. don't get the difference and they're like but it's still open I'm like no no, no but it's no, not it's different <laughs> yeah it's different it's controversial isn't it is, it, it is. <laughs> you are married to the Olivier award winning <gasps> Michael Gibson look at that that sounds good recently that seen in Hamilton good. yeah where did you meet we met at a concert I did back in Guildford and he was just graduating from GSA and I was, what had I just finished? 
Les Mis as Eponine. And I was about to do Greece and he was about to do Our House. So I met him there. And we just kept kind of bumping into, into each other, doing theatrical things in London, like going to see Alice and Jaya and Cabaret and things like that. Our first date was going to see Contact at the Queen's Theatre, which is obviously now the Lamey's place. The Sondheim, the Sondheim. Theatre now. And yeah, that was he was doing Our House, I was doing Grease, and that was it. That was a long time ago. He's just lovely. I love him to bits. And, and he was wonderful in Hamilton. He was very good he in Hamilton. He was so wonderful in Hamilton. And that was his dream part. He really campaigned to get that part. He wrote to Cameron and everything. And... Yeah, I was, I was so proud, so proud of him. And every time I saw it about seven times and every time I saw it, you know, he makes me laugh anyway, but I was oh, never, I'm never so nervous for anything as I am for when he's doing something. Um, but every time I saw it, he made me laugh my head off. You know, he's, he's so stupid, um, <laughs> but so clever. So I'm not going to say anymore because he's got a big head. So I'll shut up. <laughs> One last question about on, on the husband. Yes. How did you feel sitting next to him at the Olivier's? Oh, I'm absolutely sick. Sick to my stomach. And then it, it's all such a blur, a massive blur. But I did tell him in the interval, I met Patty Lapone in the toilets. And I went, if you win now, that's still going to be the highlight of my <laughs> night, meeting Patty Lapone in the toilets and her telling me I look nice. You know, and I was like, Ugh. Was a, it was a very good night. It was an amazing night. And he, he'd been nominated before and, you know, he was like, it's lovely to be nominated. If I win, I win. If I don't, it's still lovely to be nominated. And now he's like, it's really cool winning. <laughs> it's really cool winning. He's but very, very proud. Even just being in that show is yeah, winning in Exactly. Itself. It's an award in itself, isn't it, being in Hamilton? And it he is. definitely thought of it like that. It was, you know, he, oh my God. I mean, he still listens to the show like on a loop practically he loves it and that's so funny and he that was all he played in the car for like two years before he was even in it and when he got the part I mean I burst into tears you can tell I probably burst into tears at quite a lot of things but I thought oh now you know at least we can have a bit of a break because he won't want to play it all the time and no he still plays it all the time that's so rare because <laughs> most people feel sick when they hear no I suppose it's a bit like me and Mary Poppins that I could still watch and listen to that you know over and over and over again so it's brilliant though, isn't it brilliant, Hamilton? Oh, it's extraordinary. It is amazing. Seven times I saw it and seven times I saw new things that I hadn't seen before that just blew my mind. It's amazing. Last question. Dun, 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 dun. For the people who can't make it to London to see you, you're yes. going home turf, Cardiff. <gasps> I am. Just tell them when they can see you. You can see me the week of Halloween or Brexit, whichever scares you most. In, um, in Cardiff I'm sort of glad I'm going to be in Cardiff because we feel like you're a little bit away from it but um, of course you're not everyone's going to be affected I'm just really excited I've done a few things at the Millennium Centre but I've never done you know a big a big tour big touring production to go there when Mary Poppins went there it wasn't me so um, when they asked me to come back I did say is it possible to do Cardiff and they said yes so I'm thrilled I can't wait and then you get to come back here then I get to come back here. Yeah, I'm here till January. Great, yeah. great. So I think that's the thing. I think people think it's going on tour and not staying here, but it's not. It's in London as well. Come keep coming here to see us. Concurrent, concurrent. <laughs> yeah. This, isn't it amazing that we get to do it in London and on tour? That's a really big, it's such a big success. So that's really nice. No, it's a really good sign. Yeah. It's a really good sign. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been so fun. Me too. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. 9 to 5 The Musical is booking at the Savoy Theatre until early 2020. 
It's also going on tour from the 6th of September this year. Everything you need to know is at 9to5themusical.co.uk. To make sure you don't miss the next episode of Backstage With, just subscribe on your podcast app. And keep your eye on our Instagram at Backstage With Podcast to find out which stage door we're going through next. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.